0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, we all want good things in life, right? We want good things, things that bring joy to us. Uh, things like good relationships, good family relationships, friendships. Uh, we all want uh, sufficient uh, income to be able to live comfortably. We, um, we want to succeed in our careers. Uh, we want all sorts of good things in life. And that's a good thing. And so what do we do? We spend our time and our energy and our resources trying to have those good things. It's all very normal, right? Right? Uh, This coronavirus has kind of put a monkey wrench in that for a lot of people, hasn't it? I mean, people who are graduating, right? That's all been put on hold. I mean, they actually probably finished their degrees or or their high school years, but no graduation and the plans that went along with that. Uh, Weddings have been put off. Uh, Funerals have happened in very small numbers, but with thinking we'll have to do something later. Uh, People have lost their jobs or at least been slowed down in their jobs. And so uh, coronavirus certainly put a a monkey wrench in that. But nonetheless, our natural tendency is to pursue those things. Those things that, that we like, those things that are good and positive in life. And that's normal. It's a good thing. But here's a question for you. Is there ever a time when wanting a good thing becomes a bad thing? When wanting a good thing becomes a bad thing, does that ever happen? And if so, how would we know? And what could we do about it? Well, we're going to look at some Scripture today, I think, that will help us to address this issue. So take your Bibles today and turn to the book of 2 Kings. Now, if you, oh, hopefully you have a Bible with you there you can look at. If you don't, just listen carefully. This story is a story of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was known as a good king. He was one of the few good kings in the land of Israel after Solomon. uh, And actually more specifically in the land of Judah. So he was a good king. He did his best to stop the false worship in the country. He did his best to promote righteousness and the worship of God. And so he had a really, really good reputation as a godly king. Now he became king when he was um, 25 years old and the story we're going to pick up in today he is now 39 years old so he's been king for 14 years so let's begin reading in chapter 20 verse 1 it says in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death and Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos, went to him and said to him thus says the Lord Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Wow. Did he get some clear information from God? Right? The prophet Isaiah, the Lord sent him there to tell Hezekiah this. Hezekiah, you're you're sick. You're not going to live. You're going to die. Time to get your house in order. Boy, very clear. Did he know what God's will was for his life? And, um, and this idea of get your house in order, we understand, right, whatever needs to happen there, then maybe, you know, uh, get your will up to date. Uh, I don't know how that worked with kings. <laughs> but get things in order. But let me, let me encourage you today, think about this, and especially those of you who are watching and who, who may not be connected with us as a church uh, yet, we'd love to see that change. Let me say to you that the message that Isaiah and the Lord gave to Hezekiah, it's true for us too Not in the specific details But it's true for us too Because the reality is You are going to die We all are And so we need to prepare for that uh, Now he's telling Hezekiah to prepare He's talking about you know, finances And who's going to succeed All that kind of stuff But for you and I What we need to make sure Is that we have addressed Our personal problem with God And that's that every one of us has sinned against the holy God We've sinned against the Holy God by doing things that he says we ought not to do and by not doing things that he says we should do. And sometimes by doing things we're supposed to do but with the wrong attitude. We we haven't loved God with all our heart. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves consistently. We have failed in so many ways. And the Bible tells us that that separates us from God and that, that we can't have a relationship. We can know that he's there, believe that he's there, but we can't have a relationship with him because our sin is in the way. And well, this is why Jesus came to the earth. He, he came uh, to provide a way for us to be reconciled with God. He came to earth, the Son of God, became a man, Jesus. He lives a holy, sinless life, goes to the cross, dies on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, God the Father puts the guilt and penalty for, for my sins, which are many, lay them on Jesus. And he hid all the guilt and penalty for your sins and laid it on Jesus. And so he died paying that penalty for us. He rose again from the dead three days later. And here's what God says to us, that if we will acknowledge that we have sinned against him uh, and our sins have separated us from him, and if we will believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is and that he did what the Bible said he did, he died for our sins and rose again from the dead, that we can then say to God, oh God, I believe that and I receive Jesus as my Savior. And, And when we sincerely do that with God... At that very moment, every sin is forgiven. We receive eternal life, and then God himself moves into our lives and begins working on us to change us in good ways from the inside out. But it starts with that decision. So we're all going to die, and it's important that we be prepared for that. But so in this story, God has made his will perfectly clear I mean, lots of times we struggle, what is God's will, what does he want? What's he, you know, what am I supposed to expect here? Well, God told Hezekiah what to expect, your time is up, you're going to die. Take care of whatever you need to before that. So let's read of Hezekiah's response. I mean, that would be kind of shocking, wouldn't it? You aren't expecting that at 39 years of age. It says, then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He wept greatly. elsewhere in the scripture this, this story is told in three different places in the scripture and elsewhere in one of the places there's a, a poem that Hezekiah wrote as a result of this and uh, in that poem it becomes very clear that he was asking God not to take his life that he wanted to live okay so here's where we got to start thinking carefully about this Uh, Bible scholars treat these things in different ways. Some of these treat these as all as very positive things. My sense is that there's something else going on here that we need to take note of. And that is this. That God told Hezekiah what his will for him was. This is my will for you. It's time for your life to come to an end. You're you're coming home to be with me, Hezekiah, and then I'm going to go on and keep doing my thing here in the world, but you're coming home to be with me. And basically what Hezekiah did was tell God, no, that's not what I want. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting to live? (laughs) No, God made us to want to live. In fact, it's amazing how long some people live with things that you say they can never live with. Why? Because there's an inner drive in us to live. Okay, that is normal. But if God made it perfectly clear to you in no uncertain terms that it is time for your life to come to an end, then that is His will for you. And what is the proper response? Say, okay. Wow, this is shocking, right? And you still might weep and cry, but the idea is that this is from God. God. Let me go ahead and, and put this statement out here because then we'll finish the chapter here. But it is always best to want what God wants more than you want anything else. It's always best to want what God wants more than you want anything else. And so when we see Hezekiah really basically he's telling God, no, I know you said this is what you will for me, is, but no God, please not that. Something, I want something different than what you want. Now, God is very gracious, God is merciful, but he also works in our lives in ways sometimes that are kind of surprising. So let's see what happens here. Verse four, and that happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court. So he'd come, he told Isaiah, and he was headed out, and before before he had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And he, interestingly, did not say, for your sake, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of fig. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Okay, so let's stop this a minute. So uh, it, God answers Hezekiah's prayer. So that means God decided Hezekiah was right? That means God decided Hezekiah knew better than God? No, God has allowed it. He allowed it for his purposes. And he says, okay, Hezekiah, you're asking for that. I'm going to give you that. And we're going to see before we're done today that sometimes, as I think the subtitle of this sermon is is why you may not want what you think you want. And so God says, okay, I'm going to heal you. All right, so let's look at Hezekiah's response. Verse eight, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, it it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he, the Lord, brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So the shadow goes backwards. How can a shadow go backwards? Can the sun go backwards? I mean, God could do that if he wanted to. Everything could change like that. But most likely, God just worked a miracle with the light that was in that place, the light and the shadows, and did it. And confirmed to Hezekiah. But I, I got a kind of a question here. And so, uh, <laughs> this is not flowing from my judgment of Hezekiah, because if I want to judge Hezekiah by my own self, uh, I'm not going to do that great. <laughs> but I do want to ask this question. So God had told him, you're gonna die, get ready. Hezekiah says, no, Lord, that isn't what I want. Do something different for me. So God says, okay, I'm doing something different for you. I'm gonna heal you. And then Hezekiah's like, can you give me a sign that I know it's really true? (laughs) So this is not Hezekiah's best moments. He's had a lifetime of doing good. Let's continue the story and see what happens. It says, at that time, Barodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, you know, that's, that's nice, right? He sent a you know, letter saying, hey, kind of like I'm glad to hear you got well. And, and maybe he heard something about this miracle. I don't know. But Babylon is almost 1,700 miles away from Jerusalem. There's no regular mail system, right? You can't pick up the phone and call. There's no email or or texting. A trip from Babylon, depending on what kind of a caravan they were in, could take anywhere from a little over two weeks to well over a month. And so word had to get back to the king of Babylon, and then he had to send back to Hezekiah. Now, um, why would the king of Babylon, a kingdom so far away, do that? Well, the reason was is because Babylon, let me back up. There was a kingdom called Assyria, and it was the major kingdom of the world at the time, just like Rome, was later, just like the United States has been. Assyria was that country at this time. But Babylon was on the rise, and there kept being this tension and this pushback between Babylon and Assyria. And so what has happened, is, I mean, Assyria has come down to, to Israel a couple times and threatened, and the king of Babylon is in strategizing, right? I can make an ally of the king there in Jerusalem. All right? So that's why he sent It wasn't because he was really caring about the king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a small country, a very small country. In fact, that's what I think gets to Hezekiah here. Let's continue. So he sent the letter, would be a messenger or messengers. Verse 13, and Hezekiah was attentive to them. And show them all the house of his treasure. So stop there. He was attentive to them. The, the word that's used there and then the other accounts make it very clear. Hezekiah was flattered. The king of Babylon wants to know about me. Wow, I must be more important than I thought. And so sure enough, he's, he's flattered. The, 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 the other stories make it clear that he is prideful. And look what happened. So Hezekiah was attentive to them. So he, he's doting over them. And he, he showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasure. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. All right, Who thinks that's a good idea? This would be like you having someone that you don't really know. They come over and you take them to your house and you go and you show them. You show them where you keep the jewelry, the family heirlooms. You show them the safe where you keep the cash. (laughs) You show them all of the things that you have are of great value. How smart's that? Why would you do that? Well, the reason Hezekiah did is because he was prideful. This stirred up his pride. This appealed to him. They think I'm important. Well, let me show them. And he sets out and he does it for sure. Verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said they come from a far country, from Babylon. Isn't that cool that they want to know about me? And he, Isaiah, said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said, to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. He says, they're coming for your stuff now. Okay. You have given them reason to come and evade. Verse 18, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's is terrible news, isn't it? This is really bad news for Hezekiah and the people of God and his own descendants. Look at Hezekiah's response. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Now that's a a good response. Okay, all right, God is saying this, good. I need to know this. But then he says this, for he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? And the answer had been yes. This wasn't gonna happen while Hezekiah was alive. So it's almost like Hezekiah says, okay, this is good news. Yeah, that stuff's gonna happen. This is good news because it's not gonna happen to me. I'm not gonna be the one that's gonna have to go through it. Now, does this sound like a God-loving, God-fearing king? His reputation in the Bible is that he was a great king, a God-loving, God-fearing king who did many great things, and he did. That is still true. We don't take that away from him. And it goes on and says, basically, he, he lived that 15 more years and died. So what's going on with this? Let's think back. When God said, Hezekiah, you're not gonna get well, you're gonna die. Prepare your house for this. If he had said, oh man, that's hard right, I get it, but oh yes Lord, and he had yielded to him, would any of these things have happened? These things would not have happened. But because God revealing his plan, his his will very clear for Hezekiah, Hezekiah says, no God, that's not what I want. Now all of these other things have happened. So let's think about this. We already established it's always best to want what God wants more than you want anything else. And here's some reasons why we see from Hezekiah's life. When you set your heart on something other than God's will, when you set your heart on something other than God's will, you set yourself up for temptation you didn't need to face, probably leading to sin you never would have committed. And I think, you know, and I I bet, Dave, if we were to sit down and analyze a lot of the counseling we've done with people who have significant problems in their lives, what we would discover is that often there was at some point where they wanted something different than what God wanted. And that put them in places and times and situations where they were facing temptations they never would have faced if they had been yielded to God. And as a result, they ended up making decisions that harmed them and worked against them, okay? So when you want something other than what God wants, you set yourself up for this temptation and sin. All right, second thing happens. When you set your heart on something other than God's will, you stop cooperating with God on the best possible outcomes for your life, both in this life and in eternity. Because God has a will for your life. He has things that he wants in your life. He things he wants to do in your life. Things he wants to do through your life. And when we cooperate with him, that, that uh, enables him to work in our lives now. And that enables him to work in our lives in a way that will be a good thing for all eternity. But when so God has these plans and we go, that's not what I want. I want something different. We stop cooperating with God. Now, let's think about this. I, I, today, my, my, my focus in this is not on people who reject Christ and, and go live ungodly lives. My focus today is on those of us as Christians. We know the Lord, but we are human, right? And we want good things. I mean, hopefully, if, if you're one of those people who say, no, I don't want any good things in my life, we need to have a different conversation, Right? We all want good things in our lives. The relationships we want, uh, the, the physical situation we want, the health, the, the career, all these good things. But when, when we let, <laughs> when we want those things more than we want what God wants, we've stopped cooperating with God. Big mistake. Never works out well in our lives. Well, so how would we know if we have done this in, in our lives in some way? How would we know? Well, let's, let's some questions we can use to evaluate yourself with. So evaluate yourself with this. First, do you want to live more than you want to accomplish God's will? See, that's a Hezekiah thing here, isn't it? He wanted to live more than he wanted to accomplish God's will. And uh, as I said earlier, living's a good thing. That's the plan. <laughs> We're going to live until we don't. And we want to keep doing that. But if I want to live more than I want what God wants, then I put myself in that bad place. And I've stopped cooperating with God. Um, And this doesn't mean that, let's say that I get a a, a diagnosis of, you know, wow, you have cancer and stage four and it's not looking good and, and, uh, you know, what are you gonna, you better put your house in order. (laughs) There might be some things we can do, but basically this is what's going on in your life. Now, do I know at that point whether that's God's ultimate will for me yet? Do I know? No, I don't know. The prophet hasn't shown up at my door and said, here's what God is saying to you. So I don't know yet. So it makes sense to me to say, oh God, I I don't know, know what's up with this. And it makes sense for me to to do this first to, as James says, call for the elders of the church and have them pray over me, you know, and ask God to heal me. And and then it makes sense for me to see is, is there any medical treatment that we could do that could, you know, take care of this. But what I have to guard against is wanting what I want more than what God wants. And so nothing in the world where I say, oh, God, I would like to live. I would like to continue living. I want to see my grandkids grow up. I have ministry still I'd like to do. But I need to say, but God, more than that, I want whatever you want. And if that means it's time for my life to end, so be it. You see that? see the difference there? All right, so do you want to live more than you want to accomplish God's will? If you say yes, then you're saying something is more important to you than what God wants. Okay, second question. Is there anything that's more important to you than doing what God wants you to do? Okay, because sometimes we have a sense in life, you know what, God has made it really clear to me. He's put it in my heart and mind. I'm supposed to do this, but that means I can't do this. And I really want to do this. And so we start rationalizing and figuring out ways to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. So if you answer yes to this question, you're in a bad place. You're wanting what you want more than what God wants. Third question, is there something you want to avoid at all costs, even if it means saying no to God? Sometimes in our lives we grow up with certain situations, we observe certain things, certain things happen to us and we say, you know what? At all costs, I cannot go there again. Maybe you grew up so so dreadfully poor, right? And you said, "I will never be that way again." And you have worked so hard to not be in that situation. And so you, the reality is deep down in your soul. If you look at it, you are saying, "I'm not going to go there, even if, because if God leads me there, I can't go there. I just can't go there." Is this making any sense? You connecting with this? Okay. So if we're saying yes to these questions, we're in the wrong place. We need to be saying no to these questions. No, I don't want to live more than I want to do what God wants me to do. No, there isn't anything I want to do that's more important to me. There's, there is nothing that I have to avoid, even if it means saying no to God. No, no, no. I want what God wants. Because what's, what do we say that's early on this statement? It's always best to want what God wants more than you want anything else. It's such a a really powerful truth for us. Well, let's go back into the scripture and look at another instance of this, Psalm 106. Now, the context of this psalm is Israel in the wilderness. God had delivered them miraculously from Egypt. Remember, they had been slaves. They had been crying out to God, oh, God, please deliver us. This is terrible. And God had miraculously delivered them. He brought them out in the wilderness. He gave them manna to eat. He brought them water miraculously out of the the rock. He's taking care of them. And and what happens is they begin to complain. Oh, we're tired of this manna. (laughs) Remember when we were back in Egypt? Remember we had lots of fish in Egypt and we had leeks and garlics and onion. We had all this good stuff that we could eat back in Egypt. It's hard for me to imagine, although I think I'm probably plenty capable of it. <laughs> I hate to say that. I mean, I don't, I, hopefully I'm not. But the idea is that they were saying to God, we liked it better in Egypt before you got involved. Now, they weren't consciously saying that, but that's what they were saying. We want something different than what you have for us, God. You have delivered us from slavery, and you've brought us out on this wilderness, and yes, you are caring for us, but this is not what we want. We want something different. Wow. Let's look here in, in Psalm 106, starting in verse 13. They soon forgot his works, They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. look at this. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. He gave them what they asked for. He gave Hezekiah what he asked for. And we see where it led. He gives them what they asked for. And he says it gave them leanness of soul. They had skinny souls. Well, what does this mean? What is he talking about? Uh, well, a couple things. First of all, let's, let's, let's uh, look again that what happens when you set your heart on something other than God's will, okay? So we already saw when you set yourself up, you set yourself up for temptation you didn't need to face, right, and sin that you never would have committed. We also said that you stopped cooperating with God, uh, you know, what's for the best possible outcomes. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Anthony, that second one. So we already talked about that one. Here we see a third one, and that's this. It may result in lasting damage to your soul because your soul may shrink. Your soul may shrivel up. Well, what's that about? How does that work? Well, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and God talks about blessings of things, he often uses the word fat. (laughs) Now, we don't think of fat as a blessing, right? Uh, and I get that, but when he's talking about the fat, the fat of the land, the fat of your in your relationships, he's talking about an abundance, more than you need. God's great blessing, the fatness, and so God's intention for you uh, probably is to have a healthy body, but He wants you to have a fat soul. <laughs> okay. A fat soul, a fat that is a soul that's full to overflowing and experiencing, you know, your relationship with God. And we get a a fat soul by pursuing our relationship with God and being in the word and then then walking with the Lord in life and and getting to know him better and 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 uh, connecting with his people and and serving him and all of that brings this fatness and which is again, it's a good idea for our souls. And what God is saying here, hey, when you decide that you don't want what I want for you, by the way, what I want for you is best. Always best. It's always in your best interest. And when you say you don't want that, you want something else. Well, maybe I'll give it to you and let you experience that. To me, that's a scary thing. That God, that I would want what's wrong. I mean, not the best. That I would want something that's ultimately going to do damage to me and to my relationships and the people I impact. And I want something, and then God would give it to me. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Now, I want you to think about this. If we're talking about these good things that you say you want, um, talked about it, relationships, relationships, possessions, houses, and you know, a nice car to get around in, a good job, good career, enough money to take vacations, and to give, be generous, and give, all that kind of stuff, good things. And then we call it the blessing of God. Oh, God has blessed me, but if this is the result of me going my own way, and I have all this stuff, but my soul is starving, is that a good trade-off? That's not a good trade-off. In fact, I guarantee almost any Christian who comes in their life who has not really lived for the Lord looks back and says they wish they had done things that paid attention to their soul more than these other things. Now, why would God do this? Why would God say, okay, you can have this. Go ahead, have it. I want you to experience Leanness of soul. Why? Because I think he wants us to get to the place where all of a sudden we're we're into this and we're going, wow, this is not what I want. This isn't doing what I thought it would do. And to get us to say, whoa, wake up and say, wait a minute, I need to make a change here and I need to change my focus and go back to what it is that God wants for me. So how do we deal with this? We've already said that there's plenty of good things to want in life. And that it's good to want good things. We're not talking about going out and living ungodly sinful lives. We're talking about good things that we want. You know? How do we address that? How, you know, how do we not mess up here? Well, our Savior has already shown us the way. If you remember, you can't have been a Christian very long and not to hear about his time in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross. To bear the guilt and penalty for our sins. And how he prays in the garden and he says this. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me. And by this cup, he means what he's going to endure. He's going to go to the cross. All of the physical stuff that goes along with that. All of the human anguish that goes along with that. And then to take the sin and guilt of the whole world upon him and to experience something between his father and him that they'd never experienced before. All of this horrific stuff. And he says, what? Is there any way not to do this? Do you think it was okay for Jesus to feel that way? Absolutely. But then what does he say? Uh, You know, if it's possible, he says, nevertheless, what? Not as I will, but as you will. I want what you want, Father, more than I want this. You know, being delivered from this, from a human perspective would have been a good thing. But he says, you know, I want what you want, Father, more than that. And he went with it. And so can you see now what we have to do in our lives? First of all, we have to understand this truth that it's always best to want what God wants more than you want anything else. And that's a truth, okay? And we get that truth. I think we can even adopt that truth, but this is not personal enough. It's not personal enough, okay? So here's what I want to say to you today is that you need today to make a commitment or you need to reaffirm this commitment and try to live it out today And here is the commitment, very personal between you and God. You need to say something like this to God. You need to say, God, more than anything else in life, more than life itself, I want what you want, and I devote myself to living that way. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I have lots of things in life that I want, and I want to live but God, I want what you want more. You know, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That is where we need to live our lives. And it doesn't mean we can't pursue the good things we can. In fact, once we make this commitment, we can pursue the good things confident that the Lord can show us and lead us and and we're okay with that when he does. So here's the natural way that that Christians pursue this, okay? The natural way that that you have hopes and dreams go ahead and go to that if you would, you have hopes and dreams and plans for life. Go ahead Anthony, would you, there we go, thank you. You have hopes and dreams and plans for life, you got those, and then you ask God to bless your hopes, dreams, and plans. That sounds okay, right? Now, this, thing, this is not okay. This is not the way we're supposed to do this. We make our plans. We have our hopes. We have our dreams. And so we make our plans. We say, oh, yeah. By the way, God, could you kind of get in line with this here? <laughs> could you, you know, do what I'm wanting to do? Here's the Christian way to do this. This is what we need to do. Starts off with this. Surrender everything to the Lord. Romans 12, 1, present your body as a living sacrifice, your whole being, everything about you. God, I am yours. Everything that I have control of is yours. My whole life is yours, God. And we start off with that surrender first. Okay? Then the next thing, we ask God to help us know and enable us to accomplish his purposes in our life. Okay, God, I'm surrendered to you. Help me to know what I ought to pursue and what's good. And then many times it's going to be the same kinds of things. Right? These relationships that you want and, and, and uh, you know, a nice place to live and a good career and an opportunity to serve. Whatever. You're going to ask God and then you're going to do your best to make right decisions. This is where the Romans 12:2 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God, help me to get your will right on the front end. Now, none of us are going to get it right on the front end perfectly but we're surrendered to him and we're wanting what he wants. Now, once we have established that, then we do this. Then we can pursue our hopes, dreams, and plans. Always surrender to the Lord's will. In the book of James, it says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I've surrendered to you, Lord. I'm seeking your leadership and trying to make the best decisions of what to pursue in my life, and now I am going to pursue them. But I'm always going to remember that I want what you want more than I want what I want. Always. And so here's that commitment again God, more than anything else in life, more than life itself, I want what you want and I devote myself to living that way. Change your life, you need to make this commitment. I made this commitment many, many years ago, big picture commitment, and now the challenge is every day to live it out in this area of my life and to live it out in this area of my life. Do I really want what God wants in this area of life more than I want what I want? I have to wrestle with that. But the big picture, I've already settled it. I have to wrestle with it. That makes sense? I gotta deal with it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and these stories. Father, our desire, I believe I speak for us, Lord, is that we would want what you want more than we want what we want. And we pray, Father, you'd help us to align what we want with what you want. Lord, I pray we would live this surrendered life and that we would see that this is the normal, this is normal for Christians. It's not just for missionaries or preachers or this is for every Christian, it's for me. It's for each of us, Lord. And I pray that people today who who are watching and listening will make that commitment to you, surrender to you in this, surrender the way your son did. And that as we do, Father, not only will you be able to accomplish all of your goals and purposes through our life, we will experience the best possible outcomes as we follow your ways.